Hey, everybody. Welcome to a special Christmas Eve edition of History Unloaded with Ashley and Danny. And today we're joined by a very special guest, uh, someone who has visited with us before. Uh, but welcome again to the show to Larry Zanoff. And we're going to be talking about Die Hard. But first, we should probably explain who Larry Zanoff is. You should just assume, Danny. You got to like not assume that just people... Our listeners are loyal. They've gone back and listened to every episode, I'm sure. (laughs) To our episodes. So, uh, Larry, why don't you explain a little bit about yourself? Okay. Uh, I am what is called a motion picture armorer. Basically, I work at Independent Studio Services, which is the largest uh, prop house in North America, probably the largest prop house in the world, but uh, we're not going to lay claim to that yet. And uh, we have a weapons department at ISS, and we have a little over 16,000 firearms, and we provide firearms and different types of weapons to the television and motion picture industry. Uh, sometimes we ship the guns off the distant locations. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sometimes we ship the uh, guns off to distant locations. Sometimes we actually take them out on set and have to uh, work with the actors and the directors and things like that. Uh, but that's that's what I do for a living. Pretty cool job. Get to meet really cool people like all of you. I was going to say like us. Invite me. Of course. <laughs> and then, um, well, my mom told me that was a polite <laughs> thing to say. So I don't know. If I, you know but anyway, uh, uh, and then, um, yeah, get invited on shows like this to talk about cool things like Die Hard. Now, before we hopped on this call, I did confirm that ISS did not do Die Hard, but it was, in fact, around. Yeah, ISS has been around since 1977. It's been a family business uh, the entire time. Uh, But that particular film uh, was not one that was done by ISS because the weapons department at ISS was, was not quite that developed at the time. Uh, right now, of course, we're probably the leaders in the industry, but uh, at that time, uh, we weren't, at least as far as firearms go. But you have. Yeah. Oh, sorry. And, oh, sorry, go ahead. We always do this what? when we record. <laughs> but you have now done as your host duties on Hollywood Weapons. You have recreated scenes from the movie. Uh, do you want to talk about either of the two scenes? Yeah. Yeah, you just like yeah. getting right into it today. No. <laughs> Danny doesn't want to talk about MP5s, talk. He's just man. right into the meat of it. <laughs> yeah, so you know, we 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 do recreate certain scenes from television and film uh, on Hollywood Weapons, which is a really cool show. If you haven't seen it, uh, you should go see it. And I'm not saying that just because I'm, I'm involved with the project, but because if you're you're interested in television and movies, but you also like guns, it's just a pretty good concept uh, for a show. So um, we we recreated two scenes uh, from Die Hard. I think they were two of the most iconic scenes uh, from the movie. The first one uh, is what we call the conference table scene. Um, we've got. Uh, John McClane, of course, is trying to get away from some bad guys. He's crawling underneath a very heavy, like, oak conference table. He has, of course, his trusty Beretta with him. And the bad guy is, like, standing on top of the table. And uh, John McClane shoots through the table and uh, kills the bad guy. So we did recreate that. 
of course, with a mannequin. Uh, but we had Terry with a trusting, you know, Beretta uh, under the table, and it was it was very interesting to see the results. No spoilers of that. for the movie or the show. Um, I would have to say, since it's such an old movie, I don't think spoilers are yeah. a problem right yeah. now. <laughs> and, Unless you're me, um, who hasn't seen it in a year, and then yeah. I'll be like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, and you know, we we do um, we do put a lot of effort into uh, trying to recreate the test as accurately as possible. So, I mean, we're like watching the movie and counting the number of rounds in slow motion, so that you know we fire the exact same amount of rounds. And I have to say that uh, I was a little bit surprised, but I think that that particular gag would have worked. I mean, um, as thick as that table was and everything, it might not have worked exactly with as many hits as we see in the movie, uh, but the nine millimeter at that close range did penetrate through the wood multiple times. And then we, of course, had a mannequin uh, set up as a bad guy and it did uh, you know, penetrate the mannequin. Uh, a number of times so all in all that was a pretty good successful test and for Die Hard, you guys had you mentioned like watching it this is one thing that stood out to me because i i did homework for this episode and rewatched the movie um and they sh- they fire a lot of rounds off in that movie like movies of the era were generally criticized for like bottomless magazines and that kind of thing and they don't really do that too much but they take a ton of mags with them. Like every scene where he opens up like a backpack, he pulls out like three or four mags. And every time there's a gunfight, it's like mag dump, mag dump, mag dump. And then like gunfight, like it's, there's just a lot of rounds in that movie. It was something that stood out. Yeah. And and I think uh, another standout point is, you know, I don't know about you guys, but like I stand there and yell at a TV screen when I'm going like, don't throw away the empty magazine, <laughs> keep it. Or, you know, if you're, you, you get, you find a bad guy, it's like, take his ammunition. See, you know? I'm usually and asleep that... by that point of the movie. <laughs> well, then you probably would miss it. But if you ever are stuck in a high rise building and you've got a bunch of bad guys there, always remember, take their magazines, maybe even take their guns. And I do agree with Danny that uh, Die Hard did that very well. Um, he's always picking up extra ammunition off of the bad guys. He, it, you get the um, sense of isolation. You know, the only thing he's going to have to fight with is whatever he can pick up on the top floor there. So um, it's not like you could have that endless amount of ammo. And I think that that was one of the very earliest films that actually did that. So pro tip from Ashley, Danny, and Larry, if you find yourself fighting off German terrorists in a high rise. Keep track of your ammo. Just a little life advice. Well, Absolutely. Keep track of your ammo if you're the person, you know, fighting against the terrorists, but then also keep an eye on your ammo if you are in fact the terrorist. <laughs> oh, we're giving advice <laughs> to both sides here. To know you know, and, podcast. <laughs> if we're going to reference the movie, let's all remember that at the end of the day, they weren't really terrorists. Yeah, that's true. Right? No, that's, they were okay, just so- common thieves. They were just there for the money. The terrorist part was just kind of a kind of a, a mask that they were wearing uh, for the main event, which was just stealing the money in the vault. So what's funny about that is for the people who are not, you know, don't know me, but <laughs> I didn't really watch the movie. Uh, I've seen it. Like, I think I've seen it all the way through and I've seen bits and pieces of it every holiday season. And I was going to watch it like to make sure I had seen everything. Um but I didn't because, I don't know, I was busy um, leading up to this. So when he said German terrorists, I was going to say, 
terrorists and quote, but then I was like, well, maybe I'm not right. <laughs> no, you were correct. So, I, so I did not watch the movie last night. Danny did. And somehow I retained something more. <laughs> But of course, I have seen, and it was a really long time ago, but I have seen one of those like behind the real um, documentaries on it. So I probably know more weird facts about the movie um, than anything else. Uh, like there's a great story. And this is, I don't even remember who taught, um, I was going to say Severus Snape, but his name is Alan Rickman. Uh, Alan Rickman, the, the, when they, because they didn't want to hire him, I don't think. And because he was a classic actor at the time and uh, they had to teach him how to hold a gun properly because when he first had to hold a gun, they're like, yeah, no one's going to believe this. <laughs> no one's going to cool believe gun, this though. guy. Yeah. Because that so, was the other thing I noticed watching it is like, because we've talked about this, I think with Larry before in when we did our Star Wars episodes and the use of like certain firearms to help, you know, it's not just picking, oh, we need a gun. So just go grab one. It's like, this is what's going on. So we need to make the guns make sense. Yeah. And like for the time when the movie was like released, those were really exotic or fairly exotic. Fire, you know, now people like have diehard collections. Like that's a thing to have like a Beretta 92 and an MP5 and HKs and stuff like that. But other than the 92, I think most of the other guns would have seemed rather like outside the norm and set the scene is like, oh yeah, these guys are coming in from, you know, from Germany, from someplace else and using rather exotic guns. So it was like the choices were interesting in that way, looking, looking back at the movie. Absolutely. I mean, we, we go out of our way to um, choose guns as a prop for specific actors uh, and they do have to fit the character, you know, the personality of, of the actor and of the character in the film. And um, the Beretta, of course, you know, Die Hard is a 1988 movie, right? And it was, um, you know, by that time, the Beretta 92 was starting to be fairly commonly seen as a law enforcement firearm on the streets of America. Different agencies ha had adopted it. But things like an MP5, things like a Steyr AUG, uh, specifically things like, like the HK uh, P7, M M8, or M13, those were not very commonly seen uh, firearms. And they were also uh, maybe more exotic because of their cost in America. They were very expensive firearms, still are, uh, but back then they were, they were very much a, a, a rare bird. And I think the idea that these guys had like endless funds and they were all primarily European uh, terrorists or, or bank robbers, uh, the, the mating up of the specific firearms to the specific characters was very, very well done. I have a weird question. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm looking at one of the posters um, on one of my three screens in my command center and Bruce Willis is looking very intense and he's holding his Beretta and his finger is on the trigger. And this is where this is, this is a really random question, but like when you look at like old movie ads, like you see that and like nowadays, I mean, you still see that, but usually when you see that, you're like, well, that person's stupid. Um, like this, you may not be able to answer this question. I don't even know what the question is, but like, when did like that like standard of like teaching somebody like this is how you hold a gun in a picture so you don't look stupid and this is how you do that? I mean, was when was that happening? Well, 
here's here's one thing to remember though just in general about that when you when you're doing a, a film and there's an entire budget for the promo of that film and that includes you know promo stills and it includes the marquee poster of the movie and everything you need the poster to help you tell the story right the poster on the marquee might be the hook that gets someone to actually come in and watch the movie when i look at that poster you know i see a guy who's like really in the moment the hammer on the beretta is cocked back so he's already fired the gun a couple of times his fingers on the trigger and on the trigger guard in a very good you know grip on his firearm because you believe looking at that poster that right around the corner there's another bad guy that he needs to take down so um i don't actually have a problem with him with his trigger on the finger in that poster because it's that type of film uh so you what you're saying is he's just not a gun bunny <laughs> he's plausibly ready to fire yeah he's plausibly exactly. ready to fire he's not like posing with it <laughs> he's not posing with it and and as we we have come to find out uh over the years bruce willis himself is a very avid uh, recreational um shooter so a lot of the things you see him do in the film as far as weapons manipulation magazine changes stuff like that he's actually skilled at that he can do that just as good uh, as you see him do it in the movies well that's pretty cool i didn't know that yeah, uh, yeah. like the og keanu reeves although exactly. keanu reeves is actually pretty old too he's not old but like how old is bruce willis is I mean, it's like that. I don't. Keanu I don't know. I don't keep track of is in his fifties, like right? So, like, I, I don't think Bruce Willis is that much older. Maybe he is. I mean, it's like that constant thing where you watch a movie and then you like look up the actor and you're like, "Oh, that's a lot different number than I expected." <laughs> it's very yeah. true. What? Fifty-five, sixty-five, sixty-six. <laughs> We're great at hand signals. <laughs> I mean, they're just trying to tell me how old. Okay, so he's old. Yeah, he's he's got some years on him. If we want to, here's my other fun fact about the documentary I watched on Die Hard that it has to do with the movie poster. Was that the original movie poster? They had to take his face off of it, um, and it was this the Nakatomi Plaza uh, building being blown up because he. I guess, and I didn't know this, but I guess he was not. He was not an action star before Die Hard. He was known for mm -hmm. being like a cheeky, sexy, funny guy on TV. And, you know, and so there were a lot of issues like trying to get him to be able to play for a movie um, audience. But then when they initially tested out the trailers and his face came on um, in the movie theater and a trailer, people laughed like they thought it was a joke. Um, so they found him to be a liability to the movie. So they took him off the movie poster. Uh, and then when the show, the movie got like more clout and was like, you know, picking up speed, they put, they put him back on it. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're talking about how old people are. When I think of Bruce Willis, I think of Moonlighting. That's <laughs> the first thing that comes to my mind because that was the earlier show that he was on on TV. And and yeah, he was kind of that cheeky, almost comedic kind of guy. I don't think that currently that's an issue for him because after the very first Die Hard, he's become an action star and almost everything that he does is identified specifically with action sequence stunts firearms and things like that except for when he played rachel green's boyfriend um and ross geller's daughters ross geller's 
girlfriend's dad on friends. Then I think he went for like a hot second. He went very much back to his old roots when he did that. Yeah, but let's admit it. When you watch him on Friends, you still say, hey, that's John McClane um, from, I think from I, Die Hard. I think, I no, I definitely didn't say that. I think I was like, that's the guy from Sixth Sense. <laughs> He's not no dead comment. at all. <laughs> He's no not comment. dead at all. <laughs> he did not die hard. Oh, no. We should take it to a whole episode, which is totally unrelated to guns, about like put a famous people and like see what people <laughs> remember them for. Because I promise you, mine are never what they're supposed <laughs> to be. Um, so you also did another experiment on Hollywood weapons. Um, and that one. That's the, the one that we're about to talk about. It's the one I remember um, you doing. And so it was a really cool setup. Can you like talk a little bit, I guess, about like how you guys go about being like, we're going to try to recreate this and like the thought process of getting to that point and then ultimately what you guys sure. did with this one. So let's step back just one moment to the uh, conference table test and just make it clear that when we're doing these kind of tests, safety is just the number one uh, concern safety for the overall test, safety for the crew that's around it, and of course Terry, who's you know under the table, as it were. Um, and one of the things, and, and of course, all of these are done out in an official shooting range. This isn't a movie set or anything; it, it's a range scenario. And one of my concerns was that, you know, what are some of the normal safety rules with firearms? You don't just shoot a gun and have the bullet fly off into the atmosphere, right? So because he was under a table and shooting up, that was a concern. And I have the um, safety crew build like an awning over the table and it was made out of half inch Lexan, uh, which is a very, very tough material. So that if anything did penetrate the table, did penetrate the mannequin, this awning would trap the bullets. Um, and I even have a piece of that Lexan that I artistically cut out in about an eight and a half by 11 size and mounted it on the wall with a bullet stuck right in the middle of the Lexan uh, as a little piece of artwork, uh, just to show that, you know, these are the lengths we go to, to be safe. So that was, that was the, the conference table and it was, sure, we're gonna build this awning, we're gonna be safe and all that, but other than that, it was pretty straightforward. Come over to the second test, which again has been an even more iconic scene in the movie, and we need to have a fire hose with Terry jumping off the roof of a building and smashing through uh, a piece of safety glass, you know, because these, these high-rise buildings, when you're up on the 30th floor or whatever, it's not just regular glass. They, they have to be strong enough that if you accidentally lean on them, you're not going to fall out of the building. And so we built the frame and we, we got the same type of glass that's used in high-rise buildings. And then... We got Terry up on a 12 foot ladder. We had the fire hose. We were going to swing him through it. And it was like, well, hang on a second. What happens if he does go through it? And everybody was like, well, you know, then, then we proved that the test was successful. And I was like, no, no, you don't get what I'm saying. He's going to go crashing through a piece of glass. It's going to shatter and fall all over him. And we don't want him getting cut and things like that. So that was in season one, I believe. And you can see... Um, we had a very crude safety garment for him, fur knee pads wrapped around his legs and a motorcycle crash helmet. 
and all that. But but again, we're trying to replicate something and we need to do it safely. When you see something like that happen up on a, on screen when you're watching a movie, that is all kind of rigged and there's special effects and there's stunt people and things like that. So uh, that was kind of a challenging test to do. But at the end of the day, I think it was a very rewarding one. If you go back and watch Hollywood Weapons, you'll see that uh, it, it worked out pretty well. I like to think that the because that was like another thing when you watch the movie that stands out is like there is not a single piece of like strong glass in that entire building. <laughs> and I like to imagine that like some corrupt mid-level bureaucrat that had to do the purchase orders was like skimping on the glass and buying cheap stuff <laughs> and pocketing the cash. And then that's why all the glass broke so easily. Yeah, you know what? I, I would actually point out that just like you mentioned before about the realism of him collecting magazines off of bad guys and stuff like that. In the film, if you remember, he is very, very intentionally barefoot. Mm-hmm. And, and there is times where his feet get cut and there's blood trails kind of on the floor that the bad guys try to follow so i think again that that whole bit was you know someone was sitting there going like well if we're busting all this glass doesn't he get cut yeah 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 and so it was an effort to be realistic uh in the film and again kudos to uh the producers and directors of die hard the whole series in fact uh because i think those little kind of um details is what makes it a much more relatable, much more realistic uh, movie. The only well, and, and uh, other things that Ashley remembers from the documentary that are so- somewhat relevant, um, you know, to that with the with the production crew uh, when uh, Alan Rickman dies at the end. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> And he's supposed to say it before, but it's cool. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Whatever. Um, the the whole like scene where he, you know, falls, uh, he fell pretty far. And they had told him like something like, we're gonna do it on three, and they had him get dropped before they announced it. So the look of terror on his face is real because they lied to him. Yeah. <laughs> that you should not yeah. do with guns, <laughs> but just you when know, dropping people. Um yeah, you know, there's there's occasions when stuff like that is done, you know, on movies because uh, the directors are trying to get the most realistic performance out uh, of the actors and everything. And sometimes there's also stories like that that are a little bit anecdotal and, and they're not really. Uh, are you trying to tell me my set? documentary was lying to me? No, I was about to say before I was so rudely interrupted <laughs> that in this particular case, when you see Alan Rickman's face, there's no doubt that that's really <laughs> happening. That was not an anecdote in Die Hard. That that truly happened because you can just you can just see it. You know, I would have been and, so pissed. <laughs> um, well, I think again, uh, and and I happen to be a really big fan of Alan Rickman in, in all of his shows. I think he's a fabulous actor, and. Um, kudos to him that when it happened kind of like out of sequence for him like as you say he wasn't expecting it he still carried the part through the whole way he didn't like get scared and go oh wait this was too soon or let's do it again you know I'm sure there were multiple takes but he did a very very good job uh and he's and 
as an actor, he's got very strong expressions in his face. And so when you see that, it's like, yeah, that guy's falling, you know. All right. So Alan Rickman, how do you know him, Larry? Well, what do you see? My first my my original impression and the impression that sticks in my mind the most, there's actually two of them. My number one go to would always be Robin Hood, the Kevin Costner version. I think that he literally stole the show uh, in that movie. Um, so that is the number one thing. But the other thing, and here's little, you know, family uh, stories. He, of course, plays in the Harry Potter, you know, series of films. And I used to read all of the Harry Potter uh, books to my children when they were younger, prior to each movie coming out. So it was always important to me that they read books more importantly than just watching a movie. So we would do that. And when they had Alan Rickman, as you mentioned before, as Snape, I was a Snape fan. Oh, I and love I kept Snape. telling, and I kept telling my kids all along from the very first you know, books, it's like Snape's not really a bad guy. You know, he's got some attitudes and opinions, but he's actually one of the best guys in the whole, you know, film. And they were like, oh, no, daddy, he's the bad guy and and all that and everything. And of course, I turned out to be right because he was a righteous character. uh, And I think that the casting of Alan Rickman as that part uh, couldn't couldn't have been done better. Uh, But he's got so many great performances, you know, quickly down under, again, just amazing performance on his part, uh, uh, where he almost stole stole the show again, uh, that he's just such a pleasure to watch up on screen. Danny, who's your Alan Rickman in your brain? Um, It would probably be as Snape. So I love Snape, like make no mistake. I wish they had given him more airtime. But the first movie I ever encountered Alan Rickman was Galaxy Quest. (laughs) I knew it. I knew you were going to say it. Go I, knew I love that, that movie. It's such a good yeah. movie. Matt, I forgot about that. It, just and now. it is. It's absolutely, <laughs> it's absolutely an amazing movie. And once again, uh, being the straight man, if you will, he kind of steals the show yeah, uh, in that in that particular film. Yeah. So, so I, I'm I'm interested. I, I, I now I want to kind of Google more about like because I know that he hadn't really used guns much before, if at all, when he got this part. But I'm really interested now to kind of research other actors because I had no idea that Bruce Willis was a gun guy. I didn't know that even to this day. I don't. I don't know that he was back then. Oh, okay. You know, it may be that you know throughout his years of of doing action films, he picked up more and more on that. I can't really say you know, what he was doing at the beginning of his career. Yeah. So I have a a question about the follow-ups. So if Hollywood Weapons ever revisits Die Hard for Hollywood Weapons, Die Hard 2, Die Hard 1 again, what (laughs) tests would you like to do? Because I have two that I want to request. Wait, wait, real quick. What was that question like if they revisited Die Hard one and did another one or if they, re- or they went and did some of the other? No, if they revisit one. Die Hard one, which for them would be Die Hard part two about Die Hard one. Okay. I intentionally well, worded that kind Hard, of obtusely. So. so yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything that you would um, like to do? Because I have two that I would like to request. I'll be honest with you. I've had one that I've always wanted to do about Die Hard two. Uh, but it's it's not been done yet, and it's because I don't think 
that we could really do it in a very good way. And that's if, if you pierce the gasoline tanks on a plane and it left the trail behind it, but then took off, could you light it with, you know, a lighter or something and actually have the trail of flame chase the plane into the air and blow up? That yeah, would that be, might be difficult. I can't imagine how. Um... I, I mean, I think we'd, we'd have to wind up getting really, really heavy duty into radio controlled aircraft models. <laughs> okay. And, and try to figure that out, employ um, Andre, our special effects guru, to figure out how to have the dripping gasoline coming out of the model and, and things like that. But what's your test? What do you want to do, Danny? So one does not involve actually shooting, but in the scene where he has to, early in the movie, where he has to like climb down the elevator shaft, he uses okay. the MP5 with the stock out as a anchor and like just barely reaches across the gap he needs. And there's this like dramatic shot of like the gun and like starting to flex. And so one, I want to know like how much weight can an MP5 and its sling support? Um, like what's its breaking point? I assume part of the receiver or stock would go first. And two, if you put it under that much weight to where it like flex the whole gun, would it retain its accuracy after? Cause then he goes on to use the gun to, shoot at people so would it then retain i think he uses that same gun. i yeah. can't remember if it falls away or yeah. or what but it's actually it's actually a really great test and as soon as you're willing to volunteer your mp5 <laughs> to do that test uh, on camera i'll be happy to do it i but, will uh, work very up, hard up to until that time uh you know we still make a living by renting guns out and destroying something on purpose uh is not really what i like to do so to all of our listeners, please give me an MP5. I promise it will get back to you in some <laughs> number of pieces. He would like to hang from it. <laughs> so, and then the second test, and this is um, probably a more obvious answer. It's the only moment where I lost a little bit of like immersion, because even when they were like shooting through stuff and like obstacles that clearly would not stop a bullet, like I thought, okay, well, they just can't see it. So they're just, they're firing for suppression and it goes through and that doesn't bug me that much. Um the one that bugged me a little is at the at the end when the police come up in their armored car, they hit that thing with like two ATGMs, and I can't think of any police vehicle that would actually stand up to one of those. And so I think if you need an excuse to shoot a missile at a surplus empty police Bearcat, you should take it and tell us might, what happens. I might be able to hook that up. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that again, of... very, very, very good test. Um, and of course, the one thing that you got to remember is that, you know, armored vehicles are weakest on top. You know, the sides are usually pretty strong. Even the armor under the, the underneath the vehicle tends to be strong to protect it from mines and things like that. But on the top of the vehicles, they tend to be a little bit weaker. But um, next time, I have a couple of anti-tank rockets laying around and uh, we have a spare vehicle. I am more than happy to go ahead and try that. Or in fact, you know, Ashley just said that she could probably set that up for us. So I could try. come season six, season six, maybe we'll do that. Finally, oh. I've been looking to make a guest appearance on the show. <laughs> Danny and I have both been working on it and nobody calls us. It's not like they don't have my number. Uh, <laughs> so, I just like to say I that- know, I can ask the LAPD. Uh, I 
I'm rebuilding um, their museum, Larry. And we haven't oh, nice. talked much <laughs> recently. So the LA Police Museum. So you'd be amazed at what they can acquire. <laughs> oh, I bet. And of all the people I know likely to have spare ATGMs lying around, it's Larry. So if I'm ever going to see I, it, know, I got to ask I, you. I don't, I don't like to brag, Danny, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> I'm just playing my percentages here. <laughs> uh, okay, so... We talked about Die Hard. We've talked about some prop gun, movie gun stuff. But, you know, everyone always, I think we should finish out with this. Everyone always jokes that Die Hard is the best Christmas movie ever. But what's your favorite Christmas movies? Don't say Die Hard because, you know, we just talked about it. Well, I mean, not to be indelicate, but. I'm Jewish, so... Oh, shit! Uh, I'm sorry, Christmas. I forgot about that. We were going to do a Hanukkah episode, and we totally couldn't come up with the, with the subject, and now I'm just like, oh, my God. I'm so pissed. Um, What's your favorite I, I, Christmas movie? I, I, would, I would have to say that, I know you don't want to hear this, but, uh, yeah, um, you know, Die Hard, between it being Christmas and, it, and, and guns and everything, I think that's what I'm going to have to stick to. Oh, that's too funny. You should have heard the whole conversation we had about how we could incorporate, uh, you know, other holidays into the season and all we could figure out was Festivus. So we have failed. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Um, that's a good question. I, I can't think of a movie, but I have regularly re-watched the Middle East special of Top Gear around Christmas time. Because it's got a Christmas theme and they drive around cars in the desert and I find it hilarious. So I'd like to know what Camila's is, but it seems as if Camila has left the recording studio. <laughs> <laughs> so what's yours, Ashley? Uh, Elf. Elf. Okay. Uh, does that like shock anybody? Not really. What's your favorite color? <laughs> that does, I probably should have been able to guess that about you. Yeah, I think that I love actually. I am, I do actually like love actually. Uh, first time I saw love actually, uh, was with my mom, and uh, I was it was what rated R, and I was a teenager. And if you've seen love actually, uh, one of the couples that meets is doing it, um, uh, while they're uh being actors in an adult film and they're simulating, yeah, stuff. And uh, I watched that with my mom, yeah, it's cool, great Christmas for me. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> Camila, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Oh, she can't hear me. Hi. Hi. Uh, my favorite Christmas movie. First off, I've never understood why Die Hard is a it's Christmas, Christmas movie. But we don't need to go there. I know, but besides that. There's a great use of like, that, Christmas music seen... to accompany the yep. gunfights. Yeah, and holiday parties and yeah. Christmas trees All and there. stuff. All right, all right, all right. I withdraw that comment. Well, maybe if you hadn't left the recording uh, studio, my you would have heard. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was getting important calls. Um, I, um, my favorite, my, I don't, I guess I don't have a favorite Christmas movie. I don't oh, know. Cool. I was just Love talking actually. about that. You didn't even know. Uh, mine's Elf, though, but I was talking no. about Love Actually because that's a pretty good one. I have a follow-up question about that. And Severus Snape is in it. Isn't Alan Rickman in it? Yes, he is <laughs> in it. Circle. Also, you didn't ask me, but Snape obviously yeah. is my character. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. But yeah. Go ahead, Danny. You have a true diehard question. Well, it's just a follow-up. So if it, 
if anyone I know has ATGMs, it's probably Larry. And if anyone I know knows where the Beretta 92 from the movie is at, it's also probably Larry. So where is John McClane's 92? You know, uh, I, I know one of the armors that's done the majority of Bruce Willis's films because, uh, as an armor on said, you develop a personal relationship with an actor and if they wind up having trust in you, um, they will request you specifically again and again and again. Uh, so my first gut feeling is that that gentleman, I won't mention names here, uh, but since he did most of Bruce Willis's work, that maybe he still owns that particular firearm. Uh, but I could always uh, ask that question at a later date and get you guys the answer. I guess that there would have a... been more than one, though, right? Oh, multiples. Uh, we never, there's, there's in the film and television industry, we have a saying that is if you have one, you have none, uh, because you always need backups and ones for the stunt doubles and different things like that. So for sure, uh, there was way more than one. Well, I'm glad to know that John McClane's 92 is out there in someone's good hands. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. All right. Well, thank you so much, Larry, for hopping back on with us. Um, and thank you oh, for I having guess, me. I guess this is the end of this mini season. Oh, well, that's you were considering doing a New Year's one, so potentially not listeners. OK, well, you know, we're just really prepared for all things every time we record a podcast for yourself Ashley (laughs) but we hope everybody enjoys their Christmas their holiday season and thanks for tuning in with us again thank you Larry it's always a pleasure always a pleasure seeing you all be safe and we'll see you again soon Merry Christmas y'all happy holidays